Good morning. Welcome to Behind the Headlines, a weekly talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. Program airs on WLIWFM 88.3 on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. I'm Bill Sutton, Managing Editor of the Express News Group, joined this week by my co-host Annette Hinkle, the Arts and Living Editor for the Express News Group and host of our weekly podcast, 27 Speaks. Um, Good morning, Annette. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Um, Our normal co-host, Joe Shaw, is once again down south playing golf um, and couldn't be on the show this morning. I hope you're having fun, Joe. Um, I'm wondering when it's my time. Um, but we'll see. We're joined this week by a great panel, Denise Civiletti, editor and publisher of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning, how are you? Steve Wick, executive editor of the Times Review News Group. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. And Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? Um, let's, let's jump in. We're recording this on, on um, on Friday, and the big news uh, today is the new CDC guidance um, that was issued yesterday on uh, mask wearing or or the lack thereof. Um, the CDC came in and said that um, people who are vaccinated, who have had their second vaccine at least two weeks ago, um, now do not have to wear masks, not only outdoors, but indoors um, in, in many arenas. Um, with the you know exception of mass transit and medical offices and that type of thing, um, I, I think a lot of states were quick to jump on that yesterday and change their rules. New York State is, um, according to the governor, according to Governor Cuomo, still reviewing that guidance and has not lifted um, the local mask ban. But I imagine that. Um, that's going to be coming. I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering, and we were talking about it a little before we started the show. I, I don't know how you're going to differentiate between people who have had the vaccine and who haven't had the vaccine um, in public and, and um, in, in stores and um, shops and walking around. What do you guys think about that? It seems to me uh, if here on the North Fork, I mean, we're going to go from a kind of a rule-based system in which you wear your mask, uh, and that's the rule. You see the signs everywhere. To now, those signs, in theory, don't mean anything anymore. I can, I'm, and, and you're not going to know it. So I walk into a small business without the mask. The owner would feel more comfortable if I wore one, but I don't have to. So I don't know how this is going to exactly play out. Maybe it plays out easily. I don't know. I mean, the way I read the guidance from the CDC, it sounds like a store can, in fact, you know, have their own rule. Like you can have workplace that you, it, it says subject to federal, state, local, tribal and workplace laws and rules and rules and regulations. So they right. could conceivably say that, but you know what's going to happen. I mean, there'll be confrontations. It's going to be very Absolutely. Yeah, so. I, I watch a lot of those on, on YouTube. I watch the the Karens in the wild um, videos. And I mean, they're just full of people already. And over the last year who who purposely go into stores and businesses, don't wear a mask, looking for that confrontation, taping it so that they can post it onto YouTube, which I just don't get. It's just really um, gross. 
but 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 there's just going to be more of that if and you know and I think we've we've heard from a couple of business owners, restaurant owners, um, you know, whomever who have said they don't want to be medical professionals in, in air quotes to be the ones standing at the door saying, show me your vaccination card. Have you been vaccinated? You know, trying to tabulate, has it been, has it been two weeks since your second vaccination and, and all that? Do you, I, I'm wondering if, if businesses are just going to want to take that on or if it just becomes a free for all at this point. And it's like, we're going to try to trust you. Interestingly, I was I um, uh, since I write about the arts, I was talking to the folks at Guildhall and they are planning on having something of an uh, outdoor performing arts season and they will be selling the tickets in advance, but they will be checking people's um, cards or Excelsior passes at the door. And if you can't produce it, they will give you your money back and send you on your way um, when you show up. So that's the that's the first place I've heard of that's actually taking on that role. Um, but a lot of the other folks I've talked to who are especially in the performing arts realm are just don't want to go there. So they're sort of adhering to the the current restrictions of, I believe, 33 percent capacity and spacing out their seats. So they're selling way less seat, way fewer seats. Um, but they're kind of keeping those guidelines in place where groups of people sit together and then there's some space between them, because at this point they seem a little nervous about getting into that whole checking of passes thing. Do you, do you think some of this may be a part of the effort to encourage the people who haven't gotten vaccinated to get vaccinated? Kind of the, you know, the carrot in front of the stick that if you get vaccinated, then you can sit in the special section in the restaurant or you can sit in the special section at the baseball game for unvaccinated people. Um, I, I read a, an article, I think it was in the in the Times about um military bases and some military bases are now allowing uh, people who've been soldiers who've been vaccinated to sit and eat together. People who haven't been vaccinated um, then have to pick up their pick up their lunch and, and take it back to their barracks or or whatever. So I'm just wondering if if part of this I, I think it, from what I read, it was a big surprise to a lot of health officials. Um, this guidance yesterday who expected um, us to be wearing masks for, for the next year to all of a sudden have the CDC come in and say, no, all right, that, that's over. You don't need the masks anymore. So is it is it part of that enticement to get vaccinated with low numbers? I think it's going to be a reward system. You know, it's like if you're if you can prove you're vaccinated, you get to play with the rest of us. If not, you know, that's your choice. That's fine. But then you're going to have to sit, you know, in, in this section or you're going to have to wear a mask or I could even see I wonder if um, like airlines are going to start doing that instead of like smoking, non-smoking, you're going to have vaccinated, non-vaccinated sections of the but plane. This idea of proof is also going to unhinge people. Uh, right. Where's your proof? Um, you can't. Yeah, I understand the new rules, but where's your proof? Uh, why do I have to prove anything? I just told you I have a vaccine. Uh, are, are people going to have to show cards at some places? All this stuff just brings out the worst in people. It really does. I have a... a, a, a Go ahead, I was just saying, like I was saying before, I think there's like a core group of people and there's a lot of crossover who um, are skeptical about the virus to begin with, um, are have not wanted to wear masks, um, think it's bunk, um, are against getting vaccinated. And we're seeing the vaccinations being administered, just tanking kind of like a, it's like a third of what it was in, in early April, to, you know, now. Um, and it's not because everybody's vaccinated. Um, and, and they're also um, worried about Big Brother. Like I, I had a conversation with, a local, with an elected official who was um, saying that, you know, they're totally against this um, Excelsior pass because then your information is going in a database. Well, 
if you get a vaccine, your information is in that database already. Right. And, you know, but they, it's, it's like a big brother thing that pe- yeah, as well, people see it. So that, that and, and microchips, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and they were um, they had been talking to a doctor and they actually sat in with the doctor who was counseling um, an older couple. Um, I forget what state it was, Midwest or, or, or something, an, an older couple who had lost 11 friends and family members to COVID, but were still reluctant to get the vaccine because of all the, the reasons Denise mentioned, but they were also still fearful about microchips in the vaccine that were going to be put into, into these 80 year old, this 80-year-old couple. And I'm thinking, what does the government care, first off, about what this 80-year-old couple is doing? Um, but the doctor said, well, there's no way we could get a microchip into the needle. I mean, it would never go through the needle. But, that, you know, that beside the point, how, how, how I, I just don't understand that fear and how that, that fear um, perpetuates that minf- misinformation that's, that's out. I just don't see this new rule easing the kind of national weirdness that we're going through. Right. I don't think this makes things easier or smoother. Um, in, in logical societies, it's a, it's a big development. But we just seem to be in a place of just uh, complete um, conspiracy theories dominate. And then people just get loud. I mean, we've all probably been in some business like King Cullen and Cutrog, where someone politely asks someone to pull a mask up and he says, don't tell me what to do. Well, how's it going to change now? It's not going to get any better. No. I think interestingly enough, I also started watching on HBO this week, the documentary about the opioid crisis. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, It's pretty interesting and I never thought of it before, but I wonder if some of the hesitancy on the part of the vaccines could be suspicion of the drug companies, you know, after having seen how um, the Sacklers had lied about the addiction um, potential in Oxycontin. And, you know, these are communities that were devastated by that. And now they're being told, oh, this, this, this drug is safe and this vaccine is safe. So I wonder if some of the hesitancy might have to do with the fact that, you know, we just came out of several years of that sort of um, addiction we, crisis. We are putting an awful lot of faith into, into, into these vaccine producers. And I think the science is there from, from what I've seen and from what I've read, it looks like it's there, but, um, but you are exactly, you're, you're asking everybody put to put faith in, in these drug companies that might have, um, some some spotty records. I know Denise, you mentioned the the Excelsior Pass. I got mine, but I know Annette, you had spoken to uh, some people who had trouble getting theirs. That that may be one one way to kind of ease some of that tension if these business owners, um, you know, want want to see see evidence to have something just on your phone that you could just you know pop up the app on your phone and it shows your pass and 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 you kind of kind of pass through. But if we're going to do that, then we need to make sure this thing is working. And I know that there was um, there was an article I read this morning that for a lot of people, they're just having trouble in New York State downloading that pass. Has everybody here got their pass? Was it fairly easy to get? I, got I have mine. not even tried. So I will today. Yeah, I got I got mine. You know, I could be, I was able to get mine literally two weeks and a day after my second shot. Um, and it worked fine. But my husband, who literally got his vaccine within 20 seconds of me at the exact same day, exact same time, has they seem to have no record of him on the Excelsior pass whatsoever. So I don't know if there's a, a, a number he can call to try to, you know, push that through. We haven't really tried because we haven't really needed it. 
Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of odd because we literally were there at the same time, same day, same place. But what's the purpose of the pass? What is this? Um, it has a, it, it actually, it lives on your phone and it has like um, almost like those QR codes, you know, that you can scan. And so if you're going into a venue, you can, um, you can show that you have the little QR code on your phone. And they can scan that and know that you've been vaccinated. But our business is actually going to ask for it. Um, I think, well, I know that Guild Hall in East Hampton is going to ask for it for sure. Well, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if airlines start asking for it. Um, it may be like if you're buying tickets to something, I, 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 I don't know if they'll ask you to scan it when you buy your tickets. Um, I think I'm, that, you know, I think a lot of venues are going to start asking for, it, especially bigger, more, I don't know about out here so much, but I think, you know, Broadway probably would ask for it. I'm thinking and, Maybe um, like MS like M MSG concerts and events like that. I'm guessing would expect, uh, but probably not stop and shop. And I wouldn't be surprised if grocery stores and if they just keep their mask um, requirement in in place and and kind of ignore the the guidelines. I mean, if they have the opportunity to do that, it seems like that would be um, that would be the less stressful for move for them. Beth, did you get your Excelsior pass? No, I haven't no. tried. Um, but they are, I guess, baseball games. You need them, right? Proof of uh, if you. Negative I think it's like a ticket. If you buy a ticket to something, you're more likely to probably be asked. I, I don't guess. see it having enormous benefit here. On the East End, I, I feel like if you live in the city, you'll need it a lot more. Yeah, I just want to kind of run around with with mine kind of up in the air and just show everybody that that I've been <laughs> vaccinated because I'm so happy about that. Don't tell me to put on a mask. <laughs> I don't need it. I can. I can. Becomes kind of the latest in you know in this conspiracy driven time we live in. I don't know. I don't know that this helps or doesn't help. I don't know. Yeah, I can just see a million people saying you, you're not allowed to ask me. I mean, yeah. there are big and small companies now in America. You can read about it where uh, HR rules are you you're not allowed to ask an employee, "Have you had your vaccine?" Mm. It's like a don't ask, don't tell situation. Um, so that being the case, I think it's only going to strengthen those people who you're infringing on my freedoms or some nonsense. I, I don't know how this works. And people waving their phones around. Hey, I, uh, why can't I come into your store? Yeah. I, I don't know how this is going to go. Here's here's my and I almost feel like we're going to get to the point where it's like, OK, the vaccine is available. It's out there. If you've chosen not to get it you know, and you chose to go around unmasked and you're just taking your own risk. And the rest of us who are vaccinated are like, okay, you know, that's if, if, you know, if they get COVID, it's not because we didn't warn them or not because there wasn't an option out there. You know, it's almost going to be like, you know, once you're vaccinated, you're not going to be as fearful as catching it. So you're not going to be, you know, maybe as upset if people are walking around maskless because they're taking that risk themselves. I don't know. I mean, there are a couple of other aspects to this as well. I mean, there, there's still these looming variants, right? And we don't know uh, how well the vaccine protects us against them. We still don't know how how long the, the immunity that we get from the vaccine is going to last. The Excelsior Pass expires September 30th. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. And then the other thing is that we still don't know, and I, I have a child who has an immunodeficiency disorder, and we still don't know um, how well the vaccine protects people with who are immunocompromised because you know they don't necessarily develop immunities from vaccines. Um, I, I know that happened with my, with my daughter, not with this vaccine, but with others. So hmm. then there's that out there, and it's like, 
I kind of feel like the, the, the CDC, which I think it was, I, I really think it was motivated by trying to get people to get vaccinated because I right. think the federal government started to panic looking at the numbers going down. Um, I, but I think that, um, it, it, I think it could make things worse really because, um, you know, two weeks ago they said people who are fully vaccinated can be outdoors without a mask, but you have to have it indoors. Well, what, what happened in two weeks? Not really much in terms right. of the positivity yeah. rates. And, and, you know, so I think it, I, th- I, I think it kind of gave, it, I, I think the CDC's credibility kind of took another shot yesterday, honestly. When yeah, they, I think it, that's that's up I Are you all going to keep wearing your masks? I, I certainly am when I go into um, the grocery stores, different businesses or, or, or whatever. I'm, um, I will say I'm eating out a lot more. I'm eating in restaurants and I don't mind having the mask off while I'm eating, but I certainly want to wear it um, between the table and the door and the table in the bathroom and, and all that stuff. What do you guys think? Still going to wear the masks? Right. Just to be polite and non-confrontational and a good neighbor, you know? I mean, again, if you want to think about conflicting information that we've gotten over time and, you know, and this kind of fuels people's anxiety and anger, too. But like the mask doesn't protect you. It protects others. You know, the mask can protect you. (laughs) Um, You know, like we've heard that back and forth. Which is it kind of like, you know, is this going to protect me or am I wearing it? So in case I have an infection, I don't know about it. I won't be passing it on to someone else. I mean, we were told that for a long time. So. I don't know. I kind of like the mask myself because it's just, I don't know. I feel more comfortable in it at this point. <laughs> I feel a little emboldened so in, weird, in this but... store. Nobody's looking, nobody's looking at me. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just taking care of what I need to take care of and get worried about my chin hairs growing up. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Hides the double chin. It's a lot of benefit too. I don't have to, I don't have to fake smile. (laughs) But it is weird. I mean, I imagine this is what it's like to live in a country where, you know, the women are veiled. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. I I just kind of keep going back to that in my mind. It's like, wow, you know, the whole idea of I'm going out to dinner tonight um, in Sac Harbor and I'm interested to see, you know, are people wearing masks on the street there? I haven't really been in the village yet. And if you know what, if most people are not wearing masks, I may not put one on um, when we go to the restaurant. But um, but it's weird. There's a very weird social component to it, and is. um, isn't it? It's it's something yeah. that I've never quite experienced. But yeah. I, apparently, like in Japan, if you have, it's considered you know uh, impolite to not wear a mask right. if you have a cold. Right. You know, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that would be a cool. You know, it'd be good I, if we all adopted that. But I, I, I said from day up into such crazy politics, you know. Yeah. I don't, I said from day one, I think there's going to be a lot of people in, in this country who are going to adopt that that Asian model and just, um, you know, keep wearing masks. I mean, there, there wasn't a, a huge flu outbreak this, this past winter. There wasn't a lot of people that I knew that had colds and stuff or, or, or were sick. And I think a lot of that had to do with masks and, and distancing. So I don't think there's going to come a day where it's just going to be no more masks at all and you know, no more precautions. I think people saw a benefit to that. We'll see what happens. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly show hosted by the Express News Group on WLIW FM 88.3. I'm Bill Sutton, managing editor of the Express News Group. My co-host this week is Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. We're joined by Denise Civiletti, editor and publisher of Riverhead Local, Steve Wick, the executive editor of the Times Review News Group, and Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. 
So we ran a story um, in, in the Express Papers this week. They had the um, Southampton Town had its annual candlelight vigil uh, this past Saturday night um, to uh, remember people who lost um, to um, overdoses and, and the d- disease of addiction. And we, um, um, our writer of the year, Michelle Trying, wrote a, a, a great story where she talked to some people about the effects that the pandemic has has had on um, on on addiction numbers um, as as people were um, stuck at home and, and without medical care, psychiatric care, uh, whatever. Um, the, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there were a total of 81,000 drug overdose deaths in, in a year from May to May. That was the highest number ever recorded in a 12-month period. Um, and according to Dr. David Cohen, who is the director of the Quanticut Outpatient Services um, yeah, up in, in Riverhead, it's part of the, the Stony Brook group, um, the surge is only positioned um, to get worse. And I'm just wondering anecdotally what, what you guys have heard about these numbers, what we've reported, what we've seen. I know that the towns and, and um, were, were making great strides in attacking opioid addictions, um, which had, had uh, really blossomed over the years, but had started to come down with a lot of um, a- attention over the last couple of years. But now those, those numbers seem to be going back up. We did a story on Quanticut a couple of weeks ago, and there, the takeaway from those interviews, Bill, was that this crisis has gone on kind of unwatched, if you will, during the COVID pandemic, right? and that it was really bad. Um, there was a situation uh, last summer just down the street from me in Kutchog, uh, where I saw a bunch of first responders at the end of the street. I went down to talk to somebody. And there was a firefighter there who was in a really bad mood. And I said, what's going on? He said, Steve, this is the second time today we've been to the same house. Wow. And it was a mother and a daughter. Um, so this this has raged on. The CDC numbers you just quoted are absolutely incredible. They are. And, and I think one 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 thing of note in the story is that um, is that these healthcare professionals were talking about the, the effect that this pandemic is going to have for years or even decades to come, the, you know, the psychological effect. They talked about 9-11 and, and how there was an immediate reaction to that. But even now, um, 20 years later, people are still, you know, facing that, you know, the, the, you know, the shock from that. And, um, and, and, and that leads to problems with, with addiction. And I, um, I think with that, it's really it's interesting. It's a little different. Like after 9-11, everybody, you know, people sort of came together for support. But with this, it's like been all isolation, which I think is also weird. Like even now that we're starting to come out of this a bit, I know it's very strange. Like my normal day used to be, I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to do that. Now it's like, oh, I have to go, you know, up two miles to do this. It's sort of like dragging myself out of the house because I'm so used to not doing that. And I can just imagine how this is with people who are isolated from family and jobs and friends and maybe lost their jobs. So they don't have that routine, um, how easily it would be to fall into a pattern of addiction, which is kind of terrifying. If you can stay strong through a crisis, when the crisis is over, you really have to recalibrate your, your worldview and, and your coping mechanisms. And I think we're going to see more pe- people turning to self-medication to cope with that now, even though the crisis, the crisis is over. 
Exactly. Um, and, well, I mean, one of the problems with opioids is, you know, if, if you head quit and you start again, you think you can tolerate the same level as before. And that's when a lot of the fatal overdoses happen. Mm. Um, I, I think it's important not to just look at, at opioids, too. And, and one thing they were talking about was was alcohol. Um, and he the, Dr. Cohen had said that um, the sale of alcohol, which remains the number one abused drug outside of nicotine, was up between 200 and 400 percent um, during during the pandemic, which which I think is, is incredible. And if you think about it, the government was kind of in a way, encouraging that. I don't want to say encouraging that, but, but you know, um, uh, liquor, liquor stores were essential businesses. Um, you know, Uber started delivering alcohol. It, it you know, it was, it was just flowing freely. Um, excuse the expression. I to go for crying out loud. I, right. But, 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 uh, but Michelle's story also said, interestingly enough, one of the, maybe one of the, the reasons for that is that they didn't want people to go through withdrawal if they right. couldn't get the, you know, the substances that they had sort of been relying on. So in a way it was sort of like, let's not make um, a, a bigger overwhelming problem by having people suddenly who are reliant on alcohol, not be able to get it. And then they're going to be showing up at, you know, well, clinics and emergency. Well, in terms of the, the numbers you're talking about with either alcohol or opioids, how then does, do towns and communities fit in the marijuana legislation in the middle of that? kind of crisis yeah i mean that's a really interesting point it's like well you didn't <laughs> here, here you go right mm-hmm. um look you you, you you gotta assume that that there are a lot of people who are drinking through the pandemic who don't have a problem with alcohol and and aren't alcoholics and and i'm sure there are recreational marijuana users too that that mm-hmm. it won't lead to any kind of of addiction and can use that responsibly. Um, I think there are people that, that can't and, and maybe with the um, legalization and de- decriminalization, I guess, of, of marijuana, then for the people who who um, who do develop a problem with it, it then becomes a medical problem and, and not a legal problem. Hopefully. Well, I remember I'm old enough to remember my father bringing home the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin in 1964 and he, there was a front page story about um, the Surgeon General saying cigarette smoking leads to cancer. Hmm. I can remember that story vividly. And he, I remember him telling my mother at the dinner table and they both smoked non-filter camels at the dinner yeah. table. He said, Mark, we're going to have to stop. Read this story. So the government has probably spent billions since 1964 getting people to stop smoking. Now the government. Yeah, I, used to, I used to work on the Philip Morris account for the for Leo Burnett and um, at the ad agency in Chicago, and they spent billions getting people to smoke back in the. States. And now the government is so broke, they're going to they they need you to to smoke again. So, yeah. again, there's some common sense to it, but I'm not sure. In the middle of this, of these other crises, the timing seems to be really off. But then again, I don't know how you would stop it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know not not to be cynical but I, I think there's a certainly with marijuana there's a um, there's an economic um, a, equation here that the, the, certainly the governments are looking at I think you know uh, the governor would like to solve his budget problems with uh, with the what tax. if it doesn't what if it doesn't bring in the money yeah that, they, that they're anticipating then what do you do exactly I mean one of the mayoral candidates at the debate the other night or was it last night said something about legalizing um, 
heroin because it would bring in even more money. So again, I don't know the context of the comment, but <laughs> I, all I know is there are several town supervisors have already said there's no way this will bring in the kind of money that Cuomo's hoping. I just don't know where you go from there. Right. Well, the neighboring states legalize it. It'd be strange if New York didn't. I mean, it's, it seems incredible that for decades we sent people to jail uh, for doing for smoking pot or selling pot. Or there was a, a story on NBC News last night about a guy who was in jail for 12 years for a very small amount of cocaine. All those things seem repulsive now. But again, I don't know if if the state is so broke, this brings in the kind of money they're looking for. Honestly, what do you do? in a state where so many people get to a certain age with fixed income and then leave. Right. There's just huge issues there. Well, and, and again, I mean, money aside, I, I think, I mean, you, you hit on it. it. It is obscene that so many people's lives have been ruined by the criminalization of, uh, of, 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 you know, cannabis. And if it puts an end to some of that, um, what what I feel is is unjust, um, you know, laws. Then, um, then then maybe that's you know that's the silver lining of it. Money money aside, I know that the different towns and we we've talked about this before. The different towns are talking about whether they will opt in or opt out um, of allowing sales um, and um, and and use in in boutique use um, in in their towns. And I, I know that. Um, Southampton Town is is put a, a a survey on their website seeking public opinion on that, and I know that uh, Riverhead Town has has done the same um, to seek public opinion. If they're going to opt out, they need to do, do so. They need to start the legislation with the next within the next month, right, or next month or two, um, to be able to allow time for a permissive referendum to have people come in and say, no, we don't want you to, to opt out. Um, and it, Steve, the, the Riverhead survey, I mean, I think it was preliminary results um, um, showed people were kind of in, in favor of, of allowing it. Right. Yeah. And I think the same is true in Southall. Um, I think the numbers favor it. Um, some, dem some politicians on both sides uh, have come out and said, it doesn't seem to fit here. I know they're wor very worried about it in Greenport. I mean, you have a kind of a small, compact village with a lot of traffic along the waterfront, a lot of walking traffic, a lot of a lot of business. Um, how do you can you fit a lounge in there and you know somewhere along the waterfront where people go in and smoke? Um, I think they're really isn't, concerned about it. Too. Isn't that exactly the kind of place though that you wanna that you wanna see that where you've got people coming in to um, you know, to go to restaurants and, and listen to music and, and stuff on Fridays and, and Saturday nights. And I mean, if this is going to be part of the culture in the future, isn't that isn't that the spot? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's also interesting. It's that for a lot of people, cannabis is an alternative to heavy opioids. Well, you that's know? a really that's, good point. You know, that's the sort of the other end of this, you know, like the opioid crisis is largely um, can be blamed on big pharma and and these um, drug companies who push these pills. And now cannabis is all, all sometimes seen as a, a gentler way to deal with pain issues and things like that. So that could be sort of, that's going to be an interesting dynamic too, I think, going forward. Yeah, if that would reduce overdose deaths, then it's definitely worth pursuing. 
Right. What do you think, Denise? Well, we have, we have, I mean, you know, there's the medical marijuana dispensary here in Riverhead and I don't know, I haven't looked into like overall sales of medical marijuana, but I mean, that that's the point of that. I think that, um, you know, if you're buying a pot that you're going to smoke, which is not what you get at a medical dispensary, um, the, you've got the, the side effects of uh, taking, you know, smoking and having smoke in your lungs, as you had mentioned earlier. Um, so I think that that cuts against, you know, the, the medical value of it if you're smoking it. Um, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm personally a little wary about these on-premises consumption cafes or whatever, because I feel like, you know, how, do you, how are they going to police, if you will, people bringing things in that they're not buying there? So what are they smoking? And are they respond like, you know, just let's say I take a, a joint and I take a hit off a joint that somebody is in there in, in one of these places and it's something is bad. Is how is that going to affect this the property the the proprietor of that place? Like, is there going you know like, well, you can't bring drinks and outside food into other into restaurants? Like, I, you know, um, do I have a lawsuit against him because somebody brought something in he wasn't supposed to? I mean, I could just see all of these complications. And also, how do you how do you cut somebody off? How do you know it affects everybody differently, right? Like, so how do you know that somebody's not smoking? In a, in a place like that and walking out and getting into a car. You can't necessarily tell, like, you know, the same amount of marijuana can affect you and me very differently, I think. Um, I just, Where, whereas it's totally, different. Yeah. It's different with, with alcohol in a bar. A bartender can cut you off. And, yeah. You know, so I don't know. I think, I'm not, but, if I had my, like, if I were, if I had my druthers, I would, I wouldn't have those places. Like I would say, okay, it could be sold, but I wouldn't have like a place where you could just go. Well, and smoke. well I think the point you just made, Denise, is really interesting in the sense of once you have the lounge, you can, someone could easily bring something else in. Yeah. And how would you know, or what would you do? Do you call the police on that guy? And then the police are there all the time. And then you don't know how much someone has been smoking, but you're watching them go out and getting into their car. Yeah. Um, it seems well, I think that dri driving is, is one of the big issues and I don't know how they're going to, how they're going to solve that. I mean, hopefully, I mean, they, they talk about having, you know, police officers trained and recognizing, you know, whether people have been, have been smoking or not or, or whatever. I don't know how that works, but you were trying to, now, so, uh, you know, but in terms of just overall policy, is the reason New York State is doing this strictly financial or are there issues like and that just brought up about it'll cut back on overdose deaths or in other words, is this just strictly we have to do this? I, I would like to be optimistic and, and say that a lot of it was the decriminalization effort. Um, I mean, it kind of they've been talking about it for a couple of years. They were talking about it in conjunction with some of the bail reform um, issues and, you know, getting getting people out of out of jail, looking at um, who was who was being targeted for criminalization, which communities, um, you know, uh, black and Latino communities um, being targeted more and ending up in, in prison more often for, you know, for cannabis issues than um, than white communities. So I hope there's a little bit of a so social justice element to it. I think, though, that it got a real push from behind, um, you know, with the pandemic and, and the budget issues and and it became this, you know, this money thing. 
I think you know, also not- you have a lot of states nearby that are legalizing it. So, right. you know, people are just going there to get it anyway. So and um, I think what might be an interesting guide is looking at states like Colorado that have had it for a while. And I wouldn't be surprised if municipalities kind of study what's going on out there in terms of not only how they how they sell it, how the parlors work, but also enforcement. And I don't know how many, you know, how much has been made as far as advancement for cops policing this sort of thing. But um, I would imagine that that Colorado has been at it for a while. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of look there to see how they're dealing with some of these issues. Massachusetts, too, came, it came up at, at the Southampton Town work it, session that um, when they were they were talking about the survey. But Massachusetts has, has legalized it and um, they, they brought in some numbers and I don't have them right in front of me, but um, they've, they've made a bit of money um, since they since they've legalized it. Beth, you were trying to get in. Do you, did you want to? Yeah, I don't even, I'm not sure if my mic is working. Can you hear me? It is. You got to, you got to speak up a little though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, would the parlors be run by the government? I don't see how that works as a business model. I don't think so. Bringing their own stuff in. Yeah. No, I, I think you, it, it, you would buy it there and then you would use it there. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't see the straight line between the correctness of decriminalizing because it's of its impact on communities, let alone the ruining someone's life for smoking marijuana and the lounges. Uh, I don't see how one seems righteous and the other one seems questionable. What's yeah. the straight line between those two? Is there one? doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just turn, turns it into alcohol. You know, I mean, the, the similarities, if you're going to allow one and allow the other, then you have, I mean, you have bars where, I mean, you, you could eliminate all bars and tell people they got to drink at home, but, but that's, you know, it's a cultural issue. It, it's, it, it's a step toward that just acceptance, I think, of, of legalization. You're listening to Behind the Headlines um, on WLIWFM 88.3. I'm Bill Sutton, Managing Editor of the Express News Group. My co-host this week, Annette Hinkle, um, Arts and Living Editor for the Express News Group and host of 27 Speaks. Um, our panel today, Denise Civiletti, editor and publisher of Riverhead Local, Steve Wick, executive editor of Times Review News Group, and Beth Young, editor publisher of the East End Beacon. Denise, you were uh, you wanted to talk about um, about an, an issue in, in Riverhead about uh, uh, r- rumors that um, un, unaccompanied migrant children were, were being dumped in Riverhead. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, really what I wanted us to talk about, um, since this is behind the headlines, is um, how do we deal with things like this? Because, um, you know, we are, we're all in, uh, faced with uh, rumors of things that um, either, you know, that other the people who are supposed to be uh, in the know are say this is not happening. This is not what's true. And yet the rumors persist. And as as news reporters, you know, you, there's a you got to walk a balance you got to balance on a, a line between you know tr- working to get the truth get to the truth of something and get the truth out versus um, the the risk of uh, amplifying the rumor by repeating it and um, you know that's that's something that I was grappling with this week um, when um, I think this was uh, initiated or was fueled by anyway. Um, the opening of the um, or the soon to open uh, Guatemalan consulate in Riverhead. There's on East Main Street, there's a Guatemalan consulate office about to open. And um, that, I think, triggered or uh, fueled these rumors that 
Riverhead is about to get hundreds of um, undocumented uh, minors that have crossed the border and they're going to be settled here and it's going to impact our school district. And, um, you know, this is a reason to vote down the budget in some people's minds, um, which, you know, as you know, Riverhead voted down the budget twice last year and uh, was one of only a handful of districts in the whole state that uh, voted down the budget last year. Um, and I think, you know, it's, the town is always, I, I think the district is at risk of, ha of voting down a budget again, um, even though because of the state aid, uh, the tax levy is not going to increase at all. Um, but so we've got now this to contend with and, and this being these, these rumors that are running around. And this one individual um, who's actually an attorney, um, to, he frequently calls into the local radio station here and he, um, he is now running an ad as of, uh, he was continuing as of yesterday, I think, but um, certainly as of Wednesday, I didn't listen to it yesterday, um, that he's saying that this, the schools are 60% Latino in Riverhead now, which is a, a somewhat of an exaggeration and this consulate is opening. And now we've got this um, big budget um, that we think, he says, is designed to accommodate hundreds of new immigrants to be dumped, in his word, in Riverhead. Um, and he says that he, he attacks the supervisor of the town who was, you know, is a Latina woman. Um, he refers to her as Senora. Oh. And he says that uh, she and the police have done nothing to stop immigrants from taking over Riverhead. Um, Good Lord. Yeah. Well, and... Uh, he said he asked the voters to um, tell Senora Aguiar and the misfits on our school board they work for us, not Guatemala, oh uh, and, say, and say and say adios to Aguiar in November. And the radio station didn't cut him off. The, there's a radio is a paid ad. He's running this ad. Um, you know, I don't know how many times I'm not. I, I like I said, I, it's hard to listen to, but um, but yeah, so. Um, I called him up <laughs> and asked him about this, and I got into a somewhat animated conversation with him. Um, and I, I got comments from him, and I then got comments from uh, the supervisor. I got comments from um, the school district, the, um, the anti-bias task force in Riverhead, and, and, I, and I wrote a, a story about this. Wondering if, um, you know, and I honestly, I still haven't looked, but, you know, the uh, infamous uh, Facebook mob, uh, <laughs> wondering if they were, can you just jump in on, on, um, on his bandwagon? Um, but I'm, I think, sure, I'm sure the Facebook conversation is pretty vocal. So, um, I, you know, it was actually, I was somewhat surprised, I got to say, by um, the lack of that sort of um, discussion or I don't know what the right word is, but I know what the right word is. I don't want to say it. <laughs> uh, but that sort of reaction to uh, the, the Guatemalan consulate story that we wrote um, a, the day a day before this story. So, so uh, can, can we break it down? Do we know why why they're opening a consulate in, in Riverhead? I mean, obviously, there are Guatemalan a, residents. A very here. large Guatemalan res, um, Guatemalan um, population on the East End. Um, that's primarily where... Um, that's primarily, it's primarily the Guatemala. I mean, we have a significant, I think, uh, Mexican population as well, but 
um, the immigrants that are working here are uh, significantly Guatemalan. Um, uh, further west, uh, the, the population, the immigrant population is uh, El Salvadorian. And um, there's a Salvadorian uh, consulate. And the purpose of a consulate it has nothing to do with settling new arrivals at all. That's the, that's the joke of it. It's it, a, a consulate is a place where people who are here can get passports issued from their home country. Um, they can register marriages that take place here, births that take place here. They help people who uh, die here. They help their families uh, get the bodies back home. Um, they issue consular IDs. They do all of those kinds of things. They have nothing whatsoever to do. And I got a statement from the consulate saying that as well. I, um, they don't have anything to do with immigrant children. I mean, we have had undocumented, not unaccompanied un, uh, and undocumented minors arrive here over the years, but it's not been hundreds over the last you know decade. Um, and you know, the, he postulates that um, because there's this crisis at the border and all these people, you know, you know that this is going to happen. And um, you know, in fact. From what I'm told, um, and I, I didn't put this in the story because I, I wasn't able to confirm it, but it's more, I'm sorry if that's my, uh, it's more, they're more, um, they're not Guatemalan children at the border for the most part. I don't know. Am I doing, am I beeping like that? I apologize. That's all right. Okay. Um, I, I was trying to figure out how to sh shut off my notifications, but I always have trouble with that <laughs> on the fly. I should remember. Um, so anyhow, that was, um, so like, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you deal with this kind of situation where, you know, there's all these rumors running around and spreading on social media. So they must be true, right? Everybody's saying it. And, um, you know, but, you but I think to get the truth, get to the truth and, and speak the truth and report it. Right. But you don't want to amplify false rumors. Um, oh, I see. You know, some, at, some, at some point, it's you sort of feel like you just don't even want to get anywhere near it. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, someone's allowed to say this kind of crap that he's saying. <laughs> there are, <laughs> excuse me, there are letters that come in every week from people that never get published because they're just so truly awful. Um, and I don't I don't return a call. I don't have anything to do with them. Um the, the difference between those letters, though, and, and, and I think we get them, too, is is we're not publishing them. The, the, you know, Denise, you know, Denise's issue that this this ad is, is being played to the to the public over and over. And I think I think she's right. I think we have to we have a responsibility to to try to respond to that, don't we? If, if it's if it's information that we feel is incorrect and we can find the, I think correct the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's smearing an entire population of people and he's spreading a lie that people will believe in Riverhead. They'll believe, they'll believe it in Southall, too, that some children are being, quote unquote, dumped, like dropped off on what, Route 58 or something. <laughs> um, and a story that says these, these, you know, these things are false. Seems like good journalism to me. Well, and, and I think at the same time, if, if this is being used as a method to exasperate the, the 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 feelings in the school district, and I know the school district for, you know, last year and, and, and in recent years, 
Um, that's been the battle over whether we, you know, whether the budget gets approved there or not is, is the, the Latino, Hispanic, the, the Latinx population there. And, and, and why should we, why should we pay taxes to educate quote unquote, those people, you, you know, I, I think then, then we, you know, we have a responsibility to, to, um, to write those school budget stories and say, this is the, you know, this is why the budget should pass. And these are the advantages. This is what the budget does and, and editorialize to, to that effect too. But what he's talking about is the reason the budget will fail. Well, I, I think in effect he's calling for the budget to fail because of because of it absolutely is. And and he's tapping into what you're talking about, Bill. This taps into that notion that and I think that helped sink the budget last year. Yeah. See that uh, you know, these words written on social media all the time about how, you know, they come here and we have to pay their this and their that, you know. Um and um, you know, um we we had an interview with um, a 32-year-old um, guy who came here as an unaccompanied minor when he was a teenager. And, um, you know, it, it was interesting what he had to say about, you know, the, um, that, that belief that, they don't, that these people don't pay taxes, et cetera. I mean, he talked about that. And um, he said something that really struck me is that, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of people talking about us instead of talking with us, you know. Mm. Which really, you know, hit me. Yeah, um, that's, a strong that's, that's what happens all the time. But um, I don't know. I just I feel like this is kind of very toxic stuff, and um, it fuels hatred in our community. And I, I just like, and by you're feeling like being part of that conversation. You're you're, you're kind of perpetuating. Well, no, I mean, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I clearly, I, I felt I came down on the side of it was necessary to write a story about it, and. Um, and I think that we did a decent job of yeah. uh, presenting it without fueling the rumors. But, you know, that's something that we always have to confront, you know. I mean, and we have the ability of the luxury, really, of when we get uh, letters or ads that contain false information, we have the ability to not publish them. Right. Um, but, you know, when there's all this other stuff out there and now there's so many other ways of of um of speaking these things that without a gatekeeper like that you know the traditional gatekeeper um that you know and i think that's a that's created a, a whole crisis in our society honestly uh, you know honestly. that we've seen over the last several years especially so well, how do we wonder how like we, how many minds are changed when you do write the truth that's the other thing it's like yeah. people who don't want to believe it won't believe the truth exactly well how do we cover people who advocate critical race theory or the, someone running for the Mattituck school board talks about it in a zoom meeting. Um, you know, the, the right history, quote unquote, how, how do we handle that? And, and we, I mean, we have certainly, we have our opinions and, and how do we, how do we, you know, try to remain un, unbiased in presenting the truth when we, when we see what we think is, is untrue. There's so many things that are so offensive to me. Right that I just hold my nose thinking about and, and writing about, but someone running for the school board um, who talks on a zoom meeting about, I only want to write, I only want our students to know the correct history of America, obviously yeah. referring to the 1619 dispute and um, all kinds of others. It, it's, you know, you shake your head when you hear it. Yeah. We have a basic problem. We can't all, we, we don't all agree on facts anymore. You know, like that I think is at the heart of it. Absolutely. We are 
We are we are uh, quickly running out of time. You're, you're listening to Behind the Headlines um, on WLIW FM 88.3. I'm Bill Sutton, Managing Editor of the Express News Group. My co-host, Annette Hinkle, Arts and Living Editor for the Express News Group, our panel today, Denise Civiletti, Editor and Publisher of Riverhead Local, Steve Wick, Executive Editor of Times Review News Group, and Beth Young, Editor and Publisher of the East End Beacon. We have a, a couple of minutes left if we want to talk about what we're working on um, in the upcoming days and, and week. Uh, Beth, Beth, what are you working on? Um, still more uh, stuff about um, uh, prescribed fire in the Pine Barren. Um, uh, keeping down the possibility of future, uh, future massive wildfires. Uh, Denise, what are, you, what are you guys working on? I'm going to read that report. I downloaded the report. I really, um, I, well, we've got the school budget vote coming up. I right. think that's going to dominate everything. Um, I'm waiting for uh, the, uh, doing a Q&A with the school board candidates. We've got uh, six people, I think, running for the two seats that are open, including the two incumbents. So that should be interesting. Um, and, um, you know, we'll see where, where that goes. I think that's certainly going to dominate the, the first uh, half of the week for me. Sure. Steve, what are you guys working yeah, on? Absolutely. Denise is right. For us, it'll be the same thing. We've got school board of elections in Riverhead, Southhold, Mattituck, and Greenport. Uh, that's a really big deal. Uh, and at 30 seconds, what what are we going to see in arts and living? Well, I'm the arts and living editor. So, of course, I'm doing all the fun stuff. Um, we got actually the biggest news, I guess, is the Sag Harbor Cinema is officially reopening over Memorial Day weekend. Um, so it's sort of like revisiting what they're going to be all about and their efforts. And they're going to show Pulp Fiction in 35 millimeter. Just Great. Putting that out there. East, East Hampton Theater is opening back up next that's week. That's what too. I hear. I didn't yeah. write about that one yet, but I believe that's opening up we, on the 21st of May. Yeah, um, we had that in we had that in news. All right, we are way over time. Thank you guys so much. This was a fantastic show. Uh, appreciate you. you Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everyone. Right.